This is a trigger warning for the following episode as we talk about death and loss. Welcome to the Pursuit Podcast, episode two. This is Mara. This is Sammy. I've been Sam. I've been doing well. How about you? I am so tired, but I had a really good weekend, so that's nice. I'm sorry I'm yawning into the into the mic. Sorry, Dylan. That's okay. It just proves that you're sleepy. I am really tired, actually, yeah. And you accomplished a milestone this weekend. Yes, I walked in graduation for my master's degree, and I got hooded, um, and then my picture... Um, where I'm standing with uh, three of my classmates made the school newspaper. So that was really cool. My professor emailed me that today. Um, yeah, it was super cool. And then it, like, it was so... And it's like I have been going to Stout for, since my undergrad. So I lived in Menominee for, I think it was five and a half years. Um, so a long time I called Stout my home for six, really. It still feels like home. It's now it's just starting to feel weird because I'm not there all the time anymore. Um, and so Dylan drove me through campus on our way there to, to graduation. And we're driving through the campus portion that I worked on as an RA. And I, I started getting emotional. And he was like, don't cry, don't cry. Like, you still have a long day to get through. And I was like, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, and then, like, I... We went to um, a bar in town before the ceremony just to, like, meet up with my parents and my brothers and um, had a quick drink. And then I went to the ceremony, like, the pre-ceremony where you kind of, like, all line up. And I hung out with a bunch of my friends, and that was super fun. You live-streamed it, right? I did, yeah. It was, like, an hour. It was so quick. We, like, I was sitting next to uh, my friend Taylor. We were like, oh, my gosh, it's over already? And then, so then when we were ushered back down. Um, we were waiting for our families and like, like oh my gosh how are we gonna find all the like our families and so then um one uh, one of my friends found their parents and another one found their boyfriend or fiance and then um i was like oh my gosh i can't find anyone and so then all of a sudden i see my dad walking and he's like on the opposite side of the gym as me and i'm like in my full regalia and my hood on my hat my gown i'm and i have my diploma cover in hand and i'm like running through the crowd of people and i'm like dad dad and i'm like why am i screaming dad there's so many dads here that's stupid but then as i'm saying it my dad turns around and i jump into his arm and he's like oh hi peanut and i just start crying like i can't believe i did i'm crying and i'm crying and my dad's like oh honey don't cry you're gonna make me cry and then he like because he kind of like lifted me up kind of picked me because i kind of like jumped in his arms and then, like, I looked around and I saw my mom. She smiled at me. Um, cause, and then I, like, beelined and I hugged Dylan for a long time. And then I hugged my mom and then my brothers and then Dylan's family. And then they're like, so I'm like, oh, I don't know why I cried. And so that was, that was probably the highlight was hugging my dad and then, and then hugging my fiance. <laughs> but, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so I watched it from my place because I couldn't make it over to Wisconsin in time because of a previous engagement. But I was alone in my condo, live streaming it, giving you a standing ovation <laughs> in my place. I'm clapping. I'm crying. Oh. I'm like by myself. Anyone that's looking through the window is probably like, what is this girl doing? But I was so proud of you. I was screaming, like oh clapping. It was good. It I'm was... so proud of you. 
You worked really hard. You worked really, really hard. I did. I, oh my God, like, this last, like, it just was very, it's, grad school is very difficult. Like, I, my friends and I were saying to each other, like, this is the hardest thing that we've ever done. And I've done a lot of hard shit in my life. And, like, I've gone through a lot of hard things. But this difficult and it like I'm not quite there but it's so close I just have to finish up my internship and a couple more classes and I'll have my degree in hand and my my adult life will fully start and that is really exciting I'm glad that you watched I had my phone under my chair and so I saw that you um texted me during this ceremony I was like did you notice that I responded to you during the ceremony I couldn't help it I think it was like I can't remember what part because I like blacked out half of it because it was just like so like monumental. But oh, it was like when they were calling names and like it was to the point I was like, okay, no, they weren't even calling names at that point. I think they were just like letting people usher through. So I was like, oh, I I like that you are you were streaming it. That was really nice. Oh, of course, I didn't want to miss it. So the fact that it was live streamable yeah. meant a lot to me because yeah. I felt bad. I. Did not know that was your graduation day when I agreed to watch my friend's kids. So I just couldn't leave her hanging. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, all right, we can live stream it. Let's go. So Yeah, no, it worked out. It really did. It was it was a good grad. And like that was I didn't walk for my undergrad. And so that was my one and only time of walking across a graduation stage for like secondary education. Do you want to hear a funny story about my live streaming? Your graduation? Okay, so I like to multitask. That's just what I do. I like to have multiple things going. So I was doing laundry that afternoon since I was going to be home. I'm like, let's go. So the timing to get my laundry from the dryer, so the timer went off as your degree was called, like the row of people to go up. I'm like, okay, I've got like 15 people, like 15 people were lined up. Then the timer goes off. I'm like, oh, I got to go. So then I go, grab my laundry, come back, I throw it on my bed, and then I come out, and then it was the girl right before oh, you, Gabby, and yeah. I was like, let's go. So then I was like, yes! <laughs> and, then, and then after your name was called, and I got to watch, and I like had my moment where I was like crying, and I was like, okay, compose yourself, you're alone, she can't hear you, but I'm like in the spirit, you know? of things and then I went and finished the laundry while like while the other names were being called but it was so funny I was like that was borderline like yeah anyway but yeah it made me laugh I'm like I know I always push it to the limit you do you do oh my god that's so funny what else even happened this past week uh for me I celebrated a friend's birthday got to help um take care of my friend's kids then I watched your graduation and then I joined online dating you did? You're did. back in the game? Back in the game. What apps? So I did Hinge and Bumble, which, okay, so <laughs> I, okay, so the plan was to go to Missy's. Missy and I were going to do a photo shoot oh, to have pictures. Go. Okay, so I show up and Missy doesn't feel well, but she's like, Sammy, I'm not going to take pictures, but I will rally and help, you know, take pictures for you and whatever. Well, uh... So turns out that Missy's youngest had a stomach bug the day before. Missy caught it. So Sunday, like right after I showed up, Missy did. She tried she tried really hard to rally. She was like, "All right, Sammy, let's go. Let's go here." And then she's like, "Just kidding. Hang on." And then she ended up getting sick. And then so I was like, "Well, I'll just stay around." Well, 
Missy's youngest to like, well, we'll take your pictures. Shut so, up. oh my God. So all my dating profile pictures were taken by a five and an eight year old. And they actually turned out really I well. Say, I, I mean, they have stolen my phone from me and taken photos of themselves and other things. And they do pretty decent, actually. They did. I did the portrait mode setting and then oh, I chose good. the light. And then you got to have it prepared for those two because they will take your phone and run and we'll do a photo shoot. It's true. I like to set people up for success. Yes, I I tried, but wasn't very successful. Okay, so after we were done taking pictures, then I just stayed around to help because I know their their daily routine. So I just wanted Missy to get some sleep, especially if she wasn't feeling well. So then I helped um, like do dinner, do dishes, clean up, uh, get them ready for for bed, brush teeth, all the things. And so then right when Missy was rallying to take back in, one of the other kids gets sick. And then after I leave, then the other kid gets sick. So anyway, they have had a stomach bug, which thankfully, knock on wood, which I won't do because of obviously noise, Dylan. But knock on wood, I don't get sick. But I haven't. I've. It's been a couple days now, so thankfully I haven't. But yeah. uh, oh, so about the the dating yeah, apps. So forget about Missy and her kids. Let's hear about the dating apps. Okay. So <laughs> sorry, Missy. <laughs> so the dating apps, which was really funny, was after doing dinner and like cleaning up the kitchen, I was like, oh, that was my goal of the day was to join these dating apps. But I was like, I don't have a lot of time because I'm helping to take care of the kids. So in less than 15 minutes, select the photos, do the quick bio. Like I just literally just mailed it in. Uh, and then I just did the two apps and I was like, okay, mission accomplished. At least I'm out there with the dating apps. And then when I get home later that night, I check my phone and I check the Bumble app and my ex like <gasps> super swiped me. It, You're fucking with me. No, he did. He super swiped me. And then it bothered me because I was like, it had been a month since we were like officially done. And it bothered me because I was like, okay, I did this because I felt like I was ready and I wanted to get moved past. And so it bothered me. I was like, are you are you out there just trying to say like, hey, I see you or are you trying to get back with me? I don't know. Wait, so just a month ago, you're officially done? Officially, officially. Yes. Oh, you didn't know. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Whoops. I thought you knew. Just kidding. Yep. <laughs> Whoops. So, okay, uh, not to overshare on this podcast, but yeah, um, we can we can talk about that outside of the podcast yeah. recording. Yeah. But uh, I, but besides that fact, I want to just point out, he, you guys broke up because he's a fucking psychopath and he sees you on Bumble? Bumble. And super swiped, I think. Like, not just swipe to like, it's like the super swipe. Super swipe, I you? think it's called super swipe. It sounds like, what is from Dora the Explorer? Swipe or no swiping? Yeah. Sw- yeah, swipe or no swiping. Go away. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Last week I came home in a mood that I hate all men, and now I'm back in that mood. So, sorry, Dylan. Oh, no. Sorry, I did not mean to bring that up. But, okay, this might make you happy. So... I I just kind of just shut the app. I just was like, okay, I can't deal with you tonight. I'm just going to go to bed. I'm tired. But the next day I struggled because I was like, okay, uh, do I want to match with him just to reach out to see, okay, was that his way of being like, girl, I see you? Or was it like, hey, I want to get back with you? But then I realized I was like, either end, like either result does not matter to me because I will never 
give my heart to him. Like I will never, we will never be in a relationship again. So then I was like, well, regardless, I don't need to know. It's like Schrodinger's cat. Don't care if it's in the box or not. So then I just, I X'd out and didn't leave him in the like category or whatever you want to call it of the app. So I removed him from the likes and I kept it moving. But yeah, Good. he he liked me on Bumble and I was like, really? Really? I ever just so happened to run into him. I may throw something at him and it may be my fist <laughs> or drink. I don't know. Like, what the fuck is wrong with him? I could just go off. So maybe we should. For the record, we do not condone violence at all. Uh, can't can't agree. <laughs> well, I don't condone violence. But- no, I don't condone condone violence but um i hate people who hurt people yep and hurt people hurt people and i was looking at his profile and some of the things he mentioned and some of the photos he used i was like i just wish you were telling the whole story so he lied on his profile no it's just you know how some people want to give out not false truths but like partial truths right so like half truths or like half this so he wasn't being honest which is lying Touche. Yep. So <laughs> no, touche. Gotcha. So it just it's interesting when it's like you get to know someone, you so you get to know the full side of them. Yeah. And so I'm like, hmm, if only they knew, but it's no longer my problem. So it just took me a minute to be like, okay, do I want to play what is quote unquote a fuck fuck game? Like, do you want to pl- not not okay? So in the military, in the army, they have this thing called playing fuck fuck games. Okay, sorry for the expletives, but it's just the point of like, okay. What am I doing? Like, because when I kept him in the like section, I was like, okay, am I going to play essentially what is called a fuck fuck game to be like, okay, match him just to find out which way he's like going? Because either way, I'm not getting back with him, but at least to find out like why he's super swiped, right? So I bet I could tell you why he's super swiped. Why? Why do you think? Because he wanted to see if he could manipulate and hurt you. Probably. Sorry if that's like too blunt and no, honest, but I, no, I, I it doesn't I, hurt me. I am hypothesizing that that I feel like he maybe is like so unwell that he consciously isn't always aware of how his actions have impacted you throughout your guys' relationships. Because I will give him the benefit of the doubt, even though I don't really want to. Um, but I feel like he keeps like trying to pull you back in, like you know, and like all these like he's playing mind games basically, which. We all have people in our lives who play mind games like significant others or people who want to be your significant other in some cases who will play mind games with you. And I feel like Hannah was doing that. Well, and when I'm in a relationship, like cat and mouse, that's kind of what I was trying to talk about, cat and mouse. Which makes sense. Sorry, I didn't mean to interject. Uh, When it comes to me in relationships, I kind of like to make sure that I'm giving it my all. Yeah. So the only mind game I allowed him to play was... For me, like, am I am I giving this my all? Am I really in this? So for me, that's how like I was pulled in was just on a me level. But honestly, I learned a lot from that relationship. And we can talk about some of those dynamics in a future podcast (laughs) episode. But long and short is I'm thankful that that chapter of my life is closed. So or section of a chapter. Really, he doesn't have a whole whole chapter. Maybe a paragraph. Maybe a page. Paragraph is less than a page. <laughs> no, I know. But I did but I did learn a lot from that relationship. Yeah. So I would like to contribute maybe a double sided page, if you will, in my book. Because I did learn a lot about myself and relationships. Well, there you go. Anyway, so that was my my weekly recap. <laughs> but Master Mara, should we should we dive in? Yeah. 
All right. So I guess, should we talk about why we wanted to do this topic? Yeah. So I um, I really have always been interested in, in grief and how someone works through death and bereavement. Actually, in one of my undergrad classes, I, I took a class and it was called Death and Bereavement. And it was awesome. It was one of the most difficult and, like, it really was emotionally difficult to get through. And the professor was amazing. He's actually my undergrad mentor. Um, And he, I remember we were doing an assignment. This is just, like, a little tidbit. I don't know if this is. Oh, I think actually it does. So the assignment that I'm, like, going to kind of reference every once in a while, it's called a deathography. And so it really talks about... Um, you write basically out about every death that you have witnessed or experienced in your life and from your earliest to any going chronological order. And so, uh, he shared his with ours. His was about 16 or 18 pages long, which is so like insane. And like he, it was just had like so many in-depth details and it was so moving and so it was, that was our assignment was to write our own deathography. And by, and that was in 2019. So there are some parts of mine that are missing, um, which I'll get into. A major part that's missing from mine, because obviously it hadn't happened at that point in time. But mine is 11 pages. But when I'm ready and I'll add to it, it may become longer. But in that class and after that assignment, my professor told me, he was like, Mara, have you ever thought about being a counselor? And I kind of laughed in his face, and I was like, huh, no, I'm not going to be a counselor. I'm going to do whatever I thought I was going to do that month of my life. Um, and then, uh, two year, then yeah, a year and a half later, I emailed him, and I was like, hey, remember when you told me I'd be a really good counselor? I was like, can you write me a reference to get into grad school here? And he did. And I uh, just want to say thank you to Dr. Dole for telling me I could do it. That's kind of where this inspiration came from for me. I like that. Uh, I would say throughout my entire life, I've had to grieve a lot of things, not just death. So for me, this is just something that's near and dear to my heart, uh, just generally, uh, because I feel like a lot of the grieving that I've had to do helped shape me into the person I am today. So this topic is something that, yeah, I... Well, I want to say enjoy talking with you, but it's a weird word to say enjoy. So, but that's the first word that came to mind. Be present. So, no, I, I think that I will, I think enjoy is the right word, even though enjoy kind of brings along with it, like a really positive, like dynamic, but I think, I think it will be an interesting topic to navigate with you today. So what I first want to do is share a poem that my grandpa found in his mom's Bible um, after she died um, that he shared with me. It's called The Watcher. She always leaned to watch for us, anxious if we were late, in winter by the window, in summer by the gate. And though we marked, mocked her, her tenderly, who had such foolish care, the, lo- the long way from home would seem more safe, because she waited there. Her thoughts were also full of us, she never could forget. And so I think that where she is, she must be watching yet. Waiting till we come home to her, anxious if we are late, 
watching from heaven's window, leaning on heaven's gate. I like that poem. That's sweet that that was from grandma. Yeah, so my my great grandma um, died a little bit over a year ago after she broke her hip. Um, she was nine ninety one, I believe. Yeah, she had dementia. She fell in her um, nursing home. And then she broke her hip, which eventually led to her death. Um, and it wasn't until a couple weeks later, um, after the funeral and every like everything was over, that my grandpa was going through like her personal items and like looking through her Bible, um, or like a notebook or something, and found this um, poem folded up. And he thinks, and he shared with us that like that he wished he would have found it earlier because he thinks that she would have wanted it read at her funeral. And obviously it wasn't because we didn't know it existed. Um, so I wanted to share that. I'm glad you did. Do you want to give the DSM 5 TR definition? <laughs> yes. So fun fact, the DSM 5 is a very like intense book. Um, and it's very difficult to get a diagnosis basically in this book. And um, I don't remember when the DSM 5 came out. But there's a new addition to it. It's called the DSM-5-TR. It has one new addition, specifically this one disorder, and it's called prolonged grief disorder. And so prolonged grief disorder is uh, basically it states that it's an individual with prolonged uh, grief disorder may experience intense longing for the person who has died or preoccupation with thoughts of that person. In children and adolescents, the preoccupation may focus on the circumstances about the death. Additionally, the individual may experience significant distress or problems performing daily activities at home, work, or other important areas. The persistent grief is disabling and affects everyday functioning in a way that that typical grieving does not. For a diagnosis of prolonged grief disorder, the loss of a loved one had to have occurred at least a year ago for adults, and at least six months ago for children and adolescents. In addition, the grieving individual must have experienced at least three of the symptoms below nearly every day for at least the last month prior to the diagnosis. Symptoms of prolonged grief disorder include identity disruption, such as feeling as though part of them, part of oneself has died, marked sense of disbelief about the death, Avoidance of reminders that the person is dead. Intense emotional pain, such as anger, bitterness, sorrow, related to the death. Difficulty with reintegration, such as problems engaging with friends, pursuing interests, planning for the future. Emotional numbness, absence or marked reduction of emotional experience. Feeling that life is meaningless. Intense loneliness, feeling alone or detached from others. In addition, the person's bereavement lasts longer than might be expected based on social, cultural, or religious norms. Which, it's, I feel like that would be something that's really difficult to diagnose because grief is not linear. Um, like, my grandma, my great-grandma died, like, a year and a half, less than a year and a half ago. And, like, I still get very emotional thinking about her and her death. Um... But then also, there, my, there, 
yeah, like I've had people die years and years ago and I still get emotional. So it's very hard. And yet it's not to a disabling level. And grief is different for every person too. Mm-hmm. And there's many different types of grieving too, right? You yeah. grieve the loss of relationships, not just of life, right? So like relationships, dreams, like income, jobs. Like I have a full list that I wrote down before this episode, which I'm like, it's just interesting when it's just like identity, future, direction, joy, time, confidence, health, security, the list goes on and on. But it it's it's so specific and individualistic to the person. And then if it is death, the scope of that relationship. Yeah. Then you think of how long they've had with that relationship or what the depth of that relationship was. Because you could know someone for 20 years, but you might not know them as well as someone who's known someone else for five years that had like a significant relationship with. So it's all it's all varying right? Degrees of of dynamics. But no matter what those dynamics are, grief is grief. Loss is loss. And every person has to process grief in their own way. Like I remember, so when my youngest brother was um, really sick in the hospital when he was a baby, my sister and I were in elementary school and we were playing downstairs with our Barbies or like yeah, I think it was our Barbies, and I I can't remember who wanted. I think I wanted to play like the babies in the hospital or the brothers in the hospital, and Maya didn't, and so we ended up getting into a screaming match, like hysterically crying and screaming, and like we were latchkey kids, especially at that time because my mom wasn't was with my brother, um, and my dad wasn't home when we had gone downstairs to play. But we were screaming and everything, and all of a sudden he came downstairs and was like, "What is wrong?" And, we're, and so, like, eventually, we he got it out of us. Though, like, I had wanted to play baby brothers in the hospital, like someone's dying, basically, long and short. And she didn't, and so he was like, "Well, everyone processes this stuff on their own in different ways. Like, you want to talk? Like, I wanted to talk about it. She didn't." Like, and so, like, that that's a great example of, like, we are, it's, in a way, we are grieving that, like, innocence of, like, having a sibling that was so close to death. Oh, no, it was an example of how each person processes, and, and there are people that choose to face it head on, mm-hmm. and others that can't. Yeah, and I would say, looking at a play therapy lens, like, um, that is a very common thing. Some kids will just avoid it and won't have like won't mimic their lived experiences in their play, and other kids will. Like I wanted to, like I did or would do. Um, so that's also a really interesting aspect because grief and watching kids process just like all those like deep and strong emotions is very interesting. And the best way to see it is through their play. And you don't have to be a therapist to watch a kid play or try and figure out what's going on. It can be very insightful. And I think age can also play a different part with kids too. For instance, my mom left my brother and I. So I was almost seven and my brother was eight at the time. So we handled that differently. I was in shock. I was like, okay, I saw this person like probably every day of my life leading up to this moment and now they're no longer there. I don't know how to adjust. My brother 
just completely mourned it like she had died. He he faced it head on like she's gone. Like this is what's I mean, I can't speak for him. I'm only speaking for what I observed. Yeah. So to me, it was like my brother did mourn it like an actual death of a relationship. Like she is gone. She's not coming back. I mean, I can't speak to the whole. I mean, this is from a six year old's perspective at the time. Right. But to me, I'm like, no, mama, wake up like she'll come back. But like, I just I it was hard for me to know what the heck was going on. Like, why? Because I just had all these questions. Why Um, were your questions ever answered? I well, not to overshare on the podcast, but in my 20s, I had asked my mom one question. Um, So I had asked each of my parents a question about the past to try to heal from it. So my mom's question was, I had asked her, why did you, my mother, leave me your daughter? So I literally had to ask that. So um, for the sake of the podcast, I won't share the answer. But I got an answer from her. Uh, But I literally lived for, I would say, over a decade and a half of my life thinking that I did something wrong. Uh, So in therapy, I think in my late 20s, early thirties, I remember talking with, um, some counselors about it. Cause I had seen something when I was six, I saw my mom kiss another guy, another guy. And I was like, and I held that for two, two decades, um, of my life thinking that had I said something, would things have been different for over two decades, but a six-year-old, I did not know like how to I didn't know how to verbalize or anything. So, but for two decades, I held that. Like, it's my fault. Had I done this, like, things could have changed. But that's just, that's one of the things that I've worked through now, thankfully. But that was such a heavy burden that I carried because I thought, what if, what if, what if? I should have. Anyway, but that's a whole layer of something else. But Yeah. yeah, so kids handle grief differently. And just, like, trauma so differently. And, like, I even think about, like, so, like, I, when Spencer was born, I was 10. And so Jacob, my middle brother, was two and a half. And so he was also witnessing all this. And he experienced a lot of trauma and struggled a long time. I think most of his elementary years and maybe even really into early middle school. I can't say for sure um, with separation anxiety and, like, Stuff like that. And, like, I don't think he had a lot of... Because, like, I, I just told Dylan this last night that I remember um, when my parents were... I know my dad was there. Um, but I remember when my mom was away, like, for... She was living with my... She was living closer to the hospital, basically, for a good period of time. I, I don't remember how long. Um, for me, it seemed way longer than I think it actually was. Um, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night sobbing, like silently sobbing and pinching myself like to wake up from this nightmare. That was my life because like my mom was like not at home anymore. She had Jacob with her because like my dad was working full time that we we're going to have a new brother, but he's going to most likely die or be very, very sick. And I just wanted have like a healthy another healthy brother and I just wanted things to be okay and to be normal and safe and so like knowing now what I do know I was like 
grieving that like sense of future and that hope, which I know that my parents probably also went through. But hindsight, I look now at Spencer and I'm like, I could never imagine life being any different without you. Yes, were the first six years of his life terrifying? Oh, for sure. I would never want anyone to go through um, how scary that was for us. But he, I could never like imagine, nor would I want Spencer to be different than how he is now. But that was that was a great that was a great example of I was grieving that future as a child, which usually you hear from parents. Well, and hearing that story, it just makes me think of, and I'm going to go deep here for a minute, but so I'm going to try to articulate and not ramble, but one of the, one of the biggest things for me when I've grieved something, like when I projected hope into the future or I looked forward to something and then that couldn't happen, the, the adjustment or when loss of a loved one, right, or end of a relationship or whatever it is, um, one of one of the things that's been a struggle for me is the fact of like picturing life without that or without them or without whatever it is. But the nice thing is, even though the tunnel may be dark or not being able to picture the other side or to know, like to believe and hope that things will get better or everything will be all right or just to just to keep it moving like one foot at a time one day at a time one month at a time however the grieving process is when you eventually do get further down your life's path and then you see things like oh okay grasp on and like okay this is this is a milestone this is something wonderful I'm going to hold on to this. Like, I did not picture this happening in my future. I had hoped for it. I didn't know what would happen, but I'm thankful it's here because it's so hard to not know what good will come down the line. Because like, for instance, I had a traumatic thing happen a few years ago where I lost someone significant in my life. And that was really, really, really hard. We had seven months um, thankfully, like once the diagnosis hit of stage four cancer, like how Mayo phrased it was like he was a dead man walking. So but we had seven months. Now, those seven months were full of a lot of a lot of hard times, good times. Like it was just intermixed. It was really hard to process. And shout out to Missy for every every day. I don't think you know this. Every single day, Missy would check in on me and I would reach out to her. She was like this rock like a solid rock during this storm. Like, I don't know if I could have made it through without Missy every single day. If I needed to vent or I needed to cry or I needed to just share some positive, whatever emotion I was feeling, she took it in stride. She provided support. She literally, while dealing with things in her own life, she still showed up for me. Like, she solid rock during that time that I appreciate. So anyway, shout out to Missy. Thank you so much uh, for that. You mean so much to me. Um, but anyway, it was so hard for me to picture what life would be like post that person not being there. So like yeah. one of the things that I try to get ahead of was, all right, let's talk about future milestones if you're not here. I mean, for all we knew, a miracle could have happened. You know, you just you just don't know how to navigate yeah so we talk about future things and i'm like okay what are your thoughts about this about this or whatever those milestones haven't happened but at least i was able to get some thoughts from them while they're still alive 
you could imagine what it would be like and like what he would have wanted for you because they they will happen you'll just have to wait and see agreed but i guess ultimately what i was trying to say is for anyone that's in the thick of it or anyone that will be in the thick of it just know that everything will not seem like it will be all right like the saying like everything will be all right sometimes can be super cliche and frustrating because it's like no I want them here, or I want that to happen, or I wanted this, or no, like, I am frustrated, I am angry, I am upset, like, this isn't fair, because, I mean, I get life's not fair, but, like, any of those cliche st- statements, right? Yeah. But, like, I, I I promise you, like, there will be good on the other side. Yeah. And, I mean, I still, I still grieve certain losses, because it does come in waves, yeah, But I also, so there is an, a popular analogy about grief comes in waves, but my favorite analogy of it is, have you ever seen like a glitter cannon? Are you talking about a lava lamp? Oh, no, no. Like, so something, I wanted to say a different word, but it might be triggering. So I was like a glitter cannon, like where it shoots out glitter. Oh, yeah. So if you just picture like whatever your favorite. So for me, I like analogies. It helps me. It, yeah. This might not help. Some people, and I apologize, just hang in there. Um, But for me, I picture like my favorite color, right? And I picture glitter shooting out, okay? And if you just picture glitter is super messy to clean up, right? Um, But when it shoots out, there's going to be globs, right? So, you know, it'll be a lot. It's So depending on how people feel. So for me, I feel things rather deeply. I feel them massively. So for me, it's a lot of glitter, bunch of piles, very overwhelming to see. Because you're like, okay, this is significant. But as I clean up some of the piles, right? But then you look and you're like, oh, I'm starting to notice a little glitter here, a little glitter there. So it's like grief takes time and it is not linear. And that's why I like that analogy because it's like you might feel like or so I'll speak to me like I feel like I've I've cleaned up a lot of the glitter Um, who I could start to cry. But there's like residual glitter or glitter that I didn't see get blown like into a pile that's like under something and you're like oh but to me because I have grieved a lot uh of certain things when I see residual glitter sometimes it actually makes me feel thankful for that residual because even though it does tug at my heartstrings and it is hard it helps me remember certain things about those situations or people yeah. where I'm like, whew, I want to start crying. I know. Um, it like, it, it, I don't know why, but sometimes even talking about it, like right now, it's also helpful, but it's also like that memory sharing because sometimes it is hard with complicated grief to actually like think about the good memories, right? Because it's hard. Um, it's overwhelming. It's it's a lot to process. And so sometimes having those memories are sweet little morsels yeah. to your heart. I, I I totally agree. I don't know. All of a sudden I just got really emotional. And you know what? I am going to be completely like transparent and honest. Like I feel like sharing and like showing on the podcast that I am like this is, is okay. Like I hope it's going to be okay. I don't know if it will be for me in 20 minutes, but, um, so, like, I like how you said that, that, like, it's residual and, like, things come up. So, like, how I was saying um, earlier that I lost my great-grandma about a year and a half ago this August when I got engaged and I was so happy. Um, 
Dylan and I, the night we got engaged, we went out to eat at this wonderful restaurant in D.C. And we sat there and we talked about, like, um, about our grandpas and, like, like his grandpas and then, like, my old papa and my great-grandma and, like, how we wished that, like, those and, like, all the people that, like, we have lost in our lives couldn't meet each other. Um, so, like, seeing the residual in that way. I always think about, like, what it would be like. Like, great example. You were there when I bought, when I was trying wedding dresses, and, like, I was so happy. And then I turned around from that mirror, and I was, like, boosh, just, like, crying, because, like, my sister wasn't there, which is a whole other thing. My great-grandma, like, she wouldn't have been there anyways. Like, she wouldn't have been at the, me trying dresses. But the fact that she just wasn't alive, which, for that point was really difficult as we get closer like we start to think about those things which is hard and like i find this to be really interesting too because like Dylan and i are very like our family something that like was really important to us when we first started dating was how important family was for each other so um this april was the 10 year anniversary of Dylan losing uh his grand one of his grandpas like, I, obviously, I didn't meet him. I wasn't in Dylan's life at that point. But just, like, hearing Dylan talk about it, it made me, like, sad and emotional. And he's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, it just made me really sad. It's, like, it's crazy how, like, even... That's that's mirror neurons. That's just, like... <laughs> sorry, got it. It's just, like... I, he wasn't crying or sad or anything like that, but it just, like, him talking about it just, like, brought tears to our eyes. And so that, I feel like, is also, like, you talk about the residual and, like, I can imagine that because, like, I it happens. I feel it in my life all the time. And so, I uh, I wanted to comment about your wedding dress shopping story. <laughs> I just want to say, I have been wedding dress shopping several times with people. Never have I ever seen a wedding dress shopping experience where there was not one dry eye in the room. <laughs> Everyone was literally like tears. Yeah. So that I remember Even making me. the comment that day that there were just tears in everyone's eyes. It was very sentimental. It was very wonderful. It was a bonding moment for both families. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. And like, just, I think that like that shows that like grief really like will seep in and like take you on the days that you don't think you'll, you, you notice it. And that's okay. I think that grief has given me a multi-dimensional perspective on it because grief at its root so when it first hits it's for me my initial reaction is sadness because it's a loss it and it it's a lot of sadness but um another dimension though of grief is and i don't know how to articulate this um easily but it it gives me a thankfulness that's how i'll articulate articulate it a thankfulness to have had that kind of experience. Now, granted, there's also, you know, negative grief too. Don't get me wrong. But grief of of losing a loved one when it's a positive experience is what I'm speaking to. Well, and you know what? I've had some negative grief experiences too that have left me thankful, even though it was negative, even though it was traumatic. It did make me thankful to understand other healing processes out there. So I guess I'll just say that. So it is a, I can say thankful on both the positive and negative side, 
But on the, I'm just speaking to losing loved ones, the thankful side, because um, thankful to have had those relationships, um, good or bad, but uh, just gratitude, because there are people out there that don't get to experience certain relationships, right? And there are people that are. So as someone who's been able to experience certain relationships, the thankfulness of being like, I'm thankful that I do mourn the loss of someone's presence in my active life in these milestones. Uh, So anyway, uh, that is something that I'm hoping that people can get to is to get to the the multidimensional aspects of grief and healing because I, I know that grief is hard. I know loss is hard on any, on any level with whatever situation is happening. Um, but I do want to, can I, can I say just a, like a little blurb? Cause I just want to encourage anyone that's facing grief. Like if you have an inability, like a block, if you will, to face what happened, if you have difficulty getting, getting through, like getting past, you know, wanting to have been taken with them because I've also had that feeling of like I I wish I was taken or I wish I got there taken there like take me instead or I just I don't want to do life with this without this person in it um other dynamics of like I just want to run and hide I don't want to like I don't want to be with anyone like to be secluded or oh goodness how else have I felt um like denial like to not even face what happened like act like everything's okay I remember when my grandma was on hospice for the two days before I went to see her before she passed. Because I saw her the night before she passed, so she passed the next day. The two days before that, Dylan and I weren't living together. And so, like, he was here, and I was at school still. And I would call him, and I would just, like, scream cry for hours. Like, I just want my grandma. My grandma, I just want my grandma. And, like, having that experience is, like, very, it was very isolating and felt very childlike and helpless. So, it just, like, it brings a lot of different things out of you. It's true. Like, I remember, like, I saw the moment this one person died, like, on their deathbed. And I just remember screaming, like, not them. Well, I, I said different words, but just ultimately, like, not them, not them, please not now. And just like that was my immediate reaction. Um, But I'm thankful that you did communicate what your feelings were, because there are people that have difficulty even articulating because it's just so overwhelming. You don't know how to navigate it. So I just want to say, like, um, for me, talking through helped just just trying to navigate. I also, you know, had therapy I feel like I could always use therapy. Everyone can use therapy. But like, but please do not fully isolate. Please, 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 please avoid that because support systems are there for a reason. And if you don't, like there are support groups out there. There are resources out there if you don't have an active support system. But then also speaking to the people that are support systems for people in your life that are going through tough times, please, please reach out like a lifeline. Please check in on them too. Please encourage them to navigate this uh you know when when it comes to life events i remember when i was grieving i had to mentally and emotional emotionally prepare for life events like major events coming up like so for instance i hosted 
my cousin and her now husband um, from Canada. Mm-hmm. So now you'll know who. Okay. So uh, I had hosted them the New Year's Eve after someone had passed away. And so I had mentally and emotionally prepared to the best of my ability. I was still actively grieving, but I was still trying to show up, trying to be present, trying to be there because these people meant a lot to me. And I remember New Year's Eve, we were at a bar um, with with a cover band of an iconic band. And I just remember being with them and the midnight hit and I started crying. And now thankfully the couple, they were together, you know, like next to me, but thankfully I was able to cry like silently by myself because I literally thought like I'm going into a new year without them now. So I'm literally leaving them behind in a previous year. Just even that thought I did not even prepare for. I didn't even think about that. So when that moment hit, I allowed myself to shed some tears because I was like, nope, this is an overwhelming emotion. I'm going to let myself process it. I'm going to wipe my tears, kind of move on. But But then I circled back to it later on to be like, wow, this was a heavy concept. But even planning ahead, you can try your best, but there might be things that get overlooked and that's okay. But if you talk to others, you don't fully isolate, you allow yourself to experience the pain, avoid escapes, like don't, don't, please don't rely on drugs and alcohol and any kind of substance of any type to escape your reality because that only delays and can actually cause further issues. But um, grief itself is just, it's heavy, but you're not alone. You are not alone. Please don't feel ever feel alone in this You're because there are a lot of people that have grieved or grieving it's, alongside you. It's a very natural thing. It's something that happens in many different ways. And so it's, you're not alone. And one thing I like to think of, I don't know if this is even scientifically proven, maybe someone's researched this, but So for me, I feel things strongly. So I'm an emotional person, right? So I know our heart, like our actual physical heart doesn't hold a lot of emotions, but we feel like I can feel my heartbreak on certain things. Our body keeps the score for sure. But what I mean is, I don't know if this is scientifically quote unquote proven, but one thing that I, I like to do is picture different things. So I know I feel things in my heart when I'm sad, like my heart breaking, like I actually feel that. But one thing I know is the heart is a muscle, right? And so when you use your heart, the muscle gets stronger. So one thing for me that has helped me make it through some very tough times is thinking of it as my heart is getting stronger as I'm facing it. And it's easier said than done. And I know I'm saying this right now, but I I really wish you could know just how much I've had to work through and process in my life. So as someone who has, that's why I'm I'm sharing that tidbit to be like, if this helps you to have a logical, like, I guess, thing to think about, even though I don't know if it's scientifically proven, but your emotional heart, if you will, like the more you're able to work through things, I, I just, I just encourage you, um, to not face this alone, to use tools and resources available to you that, that you will get through this. It might not be easy and it will be some hard work, but I promise you everything will be okay. Uh, do you want me to share my poem Yeah, that I have? Okay. So this is a poem that I found online. It's called The Heavy Stone by Avril Steddeford, and hopefully I'm pronouncing that name correctly. And it goes, my grief was a heavy stone, rough and sharp. Grasping to pick it up, my hands were cut. 
Afraid to let it go, I carried it. While I had my grief, you were not lost. The rain of my tears smoothed it. The wind of my rage weathered it, making it round and small. The cuts in my hands have healed. Now in my palm it rests. Sometimes almost beautiful, sometimes almost you. And I really liked that poem because it does capture for me at least how grief initially super rough, super messy, super painful. But as you process it, as you work through it, as you navigate all that grief can bring, eventually it will become, quote unquote, easier to navigate. And I don't want to say easier, but it's kind of like that glitter analogy. The more you're able to process with that glitter, the more you'll be able to face any residual glitter that you find and hopefully appreciate it more and more. And so like in this poem, you still can carry that stone with you and it will be a reminder of where you've come from too. Thanks, Sam, for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. I like it. Thanks for letting me share. Of course. Um, Should we get into some questions? I want to hear your news, actually. Oh, really? Okay. So (laughs) some news I found. Okay. So there was a snake that was in an electrical panel, apparently, that was near a stoplight intersection. So this snake apparently had been in in there. Oh, no. So this was, I think, in the East Coast of America, I think. But so what happened was the snake was in this electrical panel, okay, and it had been there for some time because it had, like, molted skin in it. But apparently it was so big, it flipped a switch and caused, like, a power outage for that intersection because it was so large. But even though it flipped the switch, it didn't cause any other damage. So all they had to do to fix the power outage was to literally get the snake out by animal control. And then they didn't damage anything, so they had to just flip the switch. And then traffic was able to commence. Isn't that strange how nature can kind of interact with some technology? (laughs) Can you imagine opening that and be like, holy shit, there's a snake in there. (laughs) Boom, (laughs) shut it. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. The worker like, all right, let's see what's up. Oh, nope. (laughs) Literally, that's all I thought about. That's awesome. And then the other thing I thought, okay, I'm not going to share my opinion. I want to hear yours first. Okay, so there's this nudist colony in Austria. Okay. Well, there's apparently plans to set up a cable car that passes through the nudist colony. Now, the nudist colony is upset because they're going to have a lack of privacy. So that was in the news. So I would like to hear your thoughts before I share mine. Well, usually nudist colony means that you're like, you have a community and like you're not just nude, but never nude. If you watch, <laughs> if you watch, um, Arrested Development, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, don't you cut that out. <laughs> I would, so I would say, like, if you're living in a nudist community, I feel like your sense of wanting privacy has kind of gone down. But I feel like, I feel like if they're, I guess what I would say is, if it's a like a trolley or a cable car going through the nudist colony, those people aren't consenting to people just, like, observing them like zoo animals. They're consenting for other people who are also wanting to be a part of the community, the nudist colony or community to see them that way. So, I respect it. Give them their privacy. Like, 
Don't don't treat him like a fucking zoo animal, you freaks. Let him be nude. Let them do their nudie thing. Oh, Sam. <laughs> God. No, it just, for me, uh, I saw both sides of it. Because like you had said, people that are there, they're on a shared kind of understanding of what yeah. their privacy entails. But then also the fact that like when you're a nudist, like do you really have privacy when it comes to your naked body? Like most people are seeing it. So I see on both sides to be like, well, you're showing off your stuff and not feeling ashamed about it. But I get the dynamic of like people are rolling through on the cable car with mobile devices out, taking photos and then yeah. posting them online. Yes, I get that. So I get both sides of the fence. But that was a news article that I was like, hmm, that could spark some conversation. Some advice that I was told, not even advice, just something that we were my that was like repeatedly said to me and like the community I was a part of throughout college was consent is sexy. I just want to repeat that loud and clear for the people in the back. Consent is sexy. And if even if it's a nudist colony, consent is still sexy. So I'll just leave it at that. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good comment. Uh, do we have time for a question? Sure. What mythical creature would improve the world if it existed? Uh, a hippogriff. I love Harry Potter. And hippogriffs are just really cool and like loving. They're kind of like horses and yeah, but they fly. Maybe like a uni- they're like unicorns, but they're not called unicorns in the Harry Potter universe. Dylan is probably like, you're stupid. They're not like unicorns, but that's how I imagined them when I read the book. So I would say hippogriffs, and I don't have strong reasoning to back it up. But that is my answer. So it's funny that you said unicorn, because that's literally true story. If we had video, I'd show. Like, I had wrote it down quick. My answer just for, to establish it was unicorn. Oh, that's amazing. But the reason why I chose unicorn is because they're quote-unquote magical, and I feel like they make the world a brighter place if they would exist. So there would probably be rainbows and butterflies and glitter and all these wonderful things where I, if they existed... You have I now think, talked about glitter twice in this episode. Oh, no. I think different realms. I think, it, well, that's true. Different, But I think for me, just to be sappy Sammy for a moment, I think that when it comes to unicorns, because of how... I know they're mythical, but because of how they're seen in such a positive light, I think that if anyone were grieving, I think unicorns would make it their point to help, especially like kids or even adults. I would love a unicorn to visit me if I was grieving. I feel like unicorns are very similar to like the horse type creature on Harry Potter that pulls the carriages. Um, yeah, it's like I'm gonna murder this word. Huh, that's funny because they like come to you if you face death. And I was, sorry, that was a bad joke. Oh no, but it's a it was a good thing to like it's a comparable yeah idea, but it would be more of a sweet thing. And oh, I want to encourage one last thing about grief, if I may. I I really do encourage those who push away their experiencing of the pain, like allowing themselves to feel the grief that they're dealing with on whatever level, for whatever reason, whatever dynamic, whatever it is that's going on in your life, please, when you experience the grief, it allows your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit to fully face the situation to help process it and navigate. Now, I know it's easier said than done, and there are tools out there to help, but I just want to say one more time, please allow yourself the ability to grieve 
whatever it is you need to grieve, please do it for yourself. Self-care in a way. It really is. Self-care is going to come up a lot in a lot of different aspects of our podcast, but also life in general. That is all that we have on this episode of The Pursuit.